0: Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday edition of uh, African Dialogue. Right here. On the channel africa where you get the african perspective thank you for joining us on our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern africa and if you're listening to us on dstv thank you for joining us on the audio bouquet channel 802 and you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za well today we're looking at uh, the life and times of kofi annan the ghanaian born former UN Secretary General who passed away this uh, past Saturday. Sad news uh, not only for the continent but also uh, for the world in itself. Uh, the Guyanin born uh, uh, former Secretary of Gen- oh, Secretary General rather, of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, passed away uh, at the age of 80 following a short illness. I was told that he had just come back uh, from uh, Zimbabwe after the elections. Uh, the diplomat and uh, uh, Nobel Peace Laureate died in Switzerland he was a member of the Elders a group started by former President Nelson Mandela we know that his family still to finalize funeral arrangements and we know that he was one of probably like kind of had this kind of pop star image in the United Nations in my view he was probably one of the most popular uh, Secretary Generals of the United Nations but we're going to speak to someone who has actually worked very closely with uh, Kofi Annan. We've got Sebastian Brack, who is a Senior Political Officer at the Kofi Annan Foundation. Sebastian, thank you, sir, for giving us your time.
2: Well, thank you for contacting me.
0: Now, let's look at uh, the man himself. I was just told that you narrated uh, just a brief uh, description of uh, your time with Kofi Annan uh, before you heard the news of his passing away, that you just returned from uh, Zimbabwe. He was there for uh, overseeing the elections. Tell us a little bit about uh, how he was in your last trip to Zimbabwe. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your experience, Sebastian.
2: Thanks. Um, I just want to correct. Just to make a small correction. His last trip involved both a stop in South Africa okay. for Nelson Mandela's centenary, um, and that was quite a big event for him, very significant, because so, uh, Nelson Mandela had um, well, he taken, taken on the mantle of leadership of the elders after the passing of Nelson Mandela, and uh, I think he wanted to be there for the centenary celebration with the family. And then we went on to Zimbabwe just before the elections, to try to encourage everyone to stick to the uh, plan of a, of a peaceful and democratic transition in Zimbabwe he was already feeling a bit weak at that point at that time we didn't know uh, why and we didn't realize how serious uh, his condition uh, was going to get, but um, we met with the, the president, we met with uh, the leader of the opposition, the election commission, uh, political leaders, diplomats, and he packed, as he always did, uh, you know, a lot into the day, hmm. and uh, it was amazing, Until really until that last trip, just a couple of weeks before he died, he was uh, still... Uh, working very long days and packing a great deal of travel and and work into his days. I think that's what gave uh, meaning to his life, I think, that sense of responsibility to the world, but particularly uh, to Africa.
0: Sebastian, just uh, to look at his life, it's very interesting to see that he was one of two of the only secretary generals to come from the African uh, continent. What made Kofi Annan stand out? Because even during his uh, turn, he were, had a different style of doing things and had a huge popularity.
2: Yeah, I think that Mr. Nan, there are several remarkable things about him. Uh, One, of course, was his his very warm personality. He was both uh, a consummate diplomat, always very cautious and very uh, charming, but also he had this natural warmth about him. That allowed him to connect with people the way that very few uh, leaders and particularly uh, bureaucrats uh, can do uh, with ordinary people. And he was able to uh, build this connection, this rapport, both with world leaders and with uh, drivers and cleaners and uh, students. He had a very good rapport with everyone. And that was the first thing. And the second thing, of course, what I find remarkable is that he was able to work his entire life in this big bureaucratic machine without losing his idealism and his thirst for change and reform. And when he became General, he used that idealism and the experience he had to navigate through this very complex political and bureaucratic system, uh, which is the United Nations, to try and achieve uh, many, many changes which his predecessors had not been able to, despite the fact that it's a very constrained role. We all know that there are serious limitations on what the SG can accomplish, but that combination, I think, of um, bureaucratic nous and experience and his idealism and his natural uh, human warmth, I think, allowed him to do a great deal.
0: Sebastian, working with that kind of a charismatic and a very much a enlightening figure, um, you were very close to him and almost worked like as an advisor alongside him. Tell us a little bit about how it was that you navigated around that kind of personality and tell us a little bit about uh, your interactions and what stood out for you personally working with uh, Kofi Annan
2: thanks for asking. we were talking about this with mrs Anand yesterday what uh, we all had learnt from mr Anand, and uh, you know of course people tend to focus on the you know what i learned politically or in in terms of diplomatic uh, procedures and how and strategies but actually i think the the most important thing i learned from mr Anand is actually how to live as a decent uh, human being i think he was a fantastic role model not just uh, diplomatically and politically, but I think on a human level, and I think that's also what made him so successful uh, professionally because I think people felt that that deep, uh, deep humanity integrity and warmth and, and genuine concern, and that's what made him so credible as an honest broker, as a mediator, because people trusted him, and, and that's what I think is the most precious thing I learned, is to be a better person by imitating him. And now, whenever I face situations, I think, what would Mr. Anand do in this situation? You know, He was a flawed human being like all of us, but he always did the right thing, and um, that's very difficult to do, and I think he was a huge um, example in that sense.
0: Well, that is the voice of Sebastian Brack who is a Senior Political Officer at the Kofi Annan Foundation. Uh, very interesting insights to get from someone who actually worked personally with uh, Kofi Annan. We're going to take a quick break. Sebastian, stay with us there on the line and then uh, when we come back we'll look at uh, more of uh, the work that Kofi Annan got his hands into especially during his turn within the United Nations. But not only that, that after he was uh, a secretary general, he still uh, remains someone who's very involved in international diplomatic issues. But we'll deal with those issues after the break. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu.
1: We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people.
0: And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people
1: we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country.
0: Hashtag Centenary.
3: Channel Africa, leading the Women's Month Conversations.
0: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. We are South Africa's external service into the continent of Africa. Uh, Thank you for listening to us on our shortwave service into sub-Saharan Africa. Remember, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on uh, Channel 802 on the audio bouquet in South Africa and some neighboring countries in the SADC region. You can also stream us live on W www.channelafrica.co.za. We're looking back at the life and times of Kofi Annan. The whole world is mourning the death of the former UN Secretary General uh, who passed away just this past Saturday. We're speaking just before that break with Sebastian Brack, who is a senior political officer at the Kofi Annan Foundation, just getting a sentiment of his last days that that Sebastian had with uh, uh, Coffee and Nan and also just their personal interactions. But now we're also being joined by Professor Tim Muruti, Muriti rather, who is the head of the Institute of Justice and Reconciliation. That's Professor Tim Muriti. Uh, thank you, Prof, for also giving us your time and welcome to our program. Another
1: uh, colleague, you're most welcome and uh, good morning to you and your, your listeners.
0: We were just talking with Sebastian, who's working very, who worked very closely with uh, Kofi Annan uh, post uh, his uh, time in the United Nations. It was very interesting that our conversation was really around the charisma of uh, Kofi Annan. He kind of had that rock star appeal, almost uh, represented a very interesting era where we saw the types of leaders, that very, very charming in the public eye, such as the Nelson Mandela's just... Uh, they were come almost uh, symmetrical in the way they had this public image, uh, Professor Moriti. What are your thoughts around uh, uh, Kofi Annan's uh, public image?
1: Well, thank you. Yes, uh, in fact, he, he was quite an effective uh, communicator. I would say, um, he, even though he was quite soft spoken and even spoke with a, with almost a, a very gentle, um, you know, tone. Uh, always very cordial and and a strong uh, sense of humor as well. If you uh, witnessed him operate in close proximity, he could also get quite jovial. So he, all around, you know, uh, a very kind of, um, you know, know, uh, engaging figure in terms of uh, 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 his his demeanor, his approach. And this to an extent also did help him uh, to be you know, the world's top leading diplomat, and, 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 and push a number of, uh, of ideas and, 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 and processes, uh, you know, during his tenure as Secretary General of the United Nations.
0: Pop Muriti, did you work alongside him? Have you had any interactions with uh, Kofi Annan?
1: I had a brief interaction with him in 2006 when I worked for the United Nations Institute for Training and Research based in Geneva, and we convened the annual briefing uh, seminars for the UN uh, special representatives of the UN Secretary General, and it was lit- literally a very short introduction that my supervisor organized for me, so I didn't really go into depth and mm. have a long-standing conversation with him. So we knew him on that basis. We supported the work of the, his special envoy in promoting peace and um and and rebuilding societies across Africa but also in other parts of, of the world.
0: Well, I just want us to listen to this particular audio that we have of uh, uh, the exit of a uh, former Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan, when he was bidding the world farewell in that particular uh, position. Uh, we know that he was in that position from 1997 to December 2006. Let's just listen to his final sentiments that he made to the public when he was exiting that position.
3: Dear friends and colleagues, saying goodbye is never easy. I have spent most of my life working with the United Nations. I feel it is my home. I can think of no other job in the world that would have been so rewarding. And I have met wonderful people along the way and made many friends around the world. It has been an extraordinary privilege to serve as Secretary General these last 10 years. I believe we can all feel proud of what we have done together in that time to address some of the world's most pressing challenges. Sometimes we have shared the exhilaration of success, such as winning the Nobel Peace Prize in 2001. At others, we have faced bitter trials, especially the tragic loss of 22 of our friends and colleagues in Baghdad in 2003. Without your support, I could not have achieved what I did or got through some very difficult times. And through it all, you, the staff, have maintained your professionalism and commitment and remained true to the spirit of the Charter and the principle of an independent international civil service. That principle remains central to the UN's mission, and I know you will continue to defend it. Thank you once again, my dear friends and colleagues. I will count on you to carry on your indispensable work, and I wish you all success in the years ahead.
0: That's the voice there of uh, Kofi Annan when he was exiting as uh, former Secretary General of the United Nations. And that voice, uh, not quite sure how to describe it. It has that soft-spoken quality to it, but still has that authority. And coming back to you, Prof, you know, most people don't know that Kofi Annan started his career working for the United Nations since 1962. So he's been in the United Nations uh, for a long, long time.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, He essentially entered at the entry level, uh, at the professional um, level of the organization, what they call P1, and you have to rise up to the P5 level before you switch to the D1, which is the director level, and there are two more steps before you enter the undersecretary and then secretary general level. So it literally has gone through the entire gamut uh, of the United Nations uh, hierarchy. And over that 40-year period, he has amassed the insights and the knowledge that, you know, helped him to be an effective broker. And I'm thinking in particular the, the, the mediation that he conducted in Kenya in 2008 following the post electoral violence there, which he helped the parties to come up with an agreement. And that kind of insight, you know, is uh, is not, it doesn't happen out of chance. It's something you accumulate over a long period of time. And, uh, and in his time, I think you could see that he understood the United Nations quite well when he got to the level of the Secretary General, which is why he pushed for some agendas such as preventing violent conflict and strengthening the ability of the United Nations to assist countries that were rebuilding themselves in the aftermath of, of conflict through his transitional justice um, uh, interventions. And we have worked uh, on this issue as the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation on transitional justice issues, and we still draw impact from the the, the ideas and the reports that that Kofi Annan and his team uh, put out uh, during his tenure.
0: Sebastian, coming to you, in terms of his professional life, um, he was very kind of very... Uh, successful at it because as was mentioned by Professor Moriti started at an entry level within the United Nations and sometimes in in the United Nations Secretary Generals are outsourced from outside the organization so it's very very much a resemblance of the type of professional he was to be actually taken within uh, the United Nations
2: Uh, Yes, it was. I mean, I think reaching that uh, very high level, it was the first and only time that um, a career UN official rose to that level but the decision of course was a a political one and it happened because um, the previous African Secretary General Boutros Ghali Mm. was not uh, renewed especially I think he was vetoed by the United States and they had to quickly find another uh, person to replace him and the African member states insisted there should be an African and uh, they looked around and Mr. Uh, Anand by that time had become head of peacekeeping and had uh, presided over a massive increase in the peacekeeping activities and uh, because he was so well-liked by everyone, um, he was quickly uh, selected to replace uh, Butros Ghali. So I think that... Well, I'm not sure when that will happen again. I think it was, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, so the circumstances which allowed him to rise to the top job. And I think that at the time when he <laughs> rose to that job, I don't think that everyone realized what a strong leader he would, would be because he didn't necessarily always um, agree with uh, the decisions of the permanent members of the Security Council. Um, but I think it was fantastic that... Um, It happened to be him, but I think that he would not have um, got the job had he not been so popular thanks to his personality and professionalism.
0: I mean, let's look at the areas that made him a strong um, leader within the United Nations. I know that he's been very much lauded for issues around um, HIV policy, especially on uh, the African continent, spearheading that initiative, but also uh, some of his research and some of his uh, uh, pursuits on uh, peacekeeping on the African continent, Sebastian.
2: Well, I, I think before, I mean, of course, we're here to sing the praises of Mr. Renan. One has to recognize, though, that the United Nations is a huge system with uh, mm. tens of thousands of professionals. So all so, well, the work was done, of course, there was a, a wide variety of people who contributed to these successes, and they have to be credited. Mr. Renan was often the so, person who led, uh, the, was the public figure behind them. Um, so, but uh, there were many people doing the work. That said, it's true that I think that what Mr. Renan also brought to the job was a willingness to think outside the box, and to set up things which hadn't been set up before. Like for example, the HIV thing, he set up a a kind of independent agency outside the UN system um, to, to achieve these successes, uh, the Global Fund in particular, for example, which was, I think, an unprecedented model, a sort of civ- public-private uh, partnership involving not just uh, states but also private companies, private money. Uh, that was original. He also did things like uh, the Global Compact, which involved business. He tried to open up the organization also to civil society. Um, so I, th- I think he was also willing to think outside the box, which is all the more remarkable given that he'd been uh, you know, formatted within the box, his whole uh, career, but once he got to that level, he was willing to try different things and uh, be more original, um, and that's what I think is is, uh, is remarkable about him.
0: Professor Moriti, from a peacekeeping perspective, um, were there any things that stood out for you because you did speak about uh, that element uh, before we went back to Sebastian?
1: <laughs> yes, uh, you know, he was a committed uh, humanitarian, and I mentioned... Um, his experience in working uh, you know at a practical level as well as a strategic level uh, in fact um, made him a, a, a thought leader on some of the issues that were pressing uh, around the world and it was 2000 the year 2000 he convened as secretary general he convened the the what is called as the brahimi panel uh, on, on UN peace operations uh, which was headed by the Algerian lakhta brahimi um, to review the the peace and security uh, challenges of the United Nations, um, and that document still is informative and, and and provides insights to those who are working, uh, you know, in, uh, across the world on on peacekeeping issues. But also to mention that he was also a, a a prime mover of of instilling the idea of conflict prevention, the notion that prevention is better than than cure, and he tried to. To advance this, this this notion within the United Nations system, as soon as in fact he, he became Secretary General, this was one of his primary agendas, and uh, it led to 2001 to the International Commission on 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 uh, on, on state uh, sovereignty, and which uh, which produced a report that eventually led to the to the adoption of the the notion of the responsibility to protect, uh, which was adopted in 2005 by the United Nations. Uh, General Assembly, um, when he was, in fact, still Secretary General. Uh, you know, that's just one example. He also worked quite, uh, you know, uh, directly with, with issues of transitional justice. The the United Nations Secretary General Report of 2004 uh, on, on transitional justice um, is still one of the seminal documents that provides a very, very clear analysis of, of, of what it takes for countries to... To rebuild their societies in the aftermath of authoritarian rule or violent uh, conflict, mm. uh, and so in this sense, he was a thought leader in his own right. And, and yes, these these reports were compiled by by teams, by 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 groups uh, within the United Nations system. But it was his initiative, in fact, that uh, that, that that spurred them to be, uh, you know, uh, commissioned and put on the table. Uh, and so, in that sense, he was he was someone who was always constantly thinking about how to, to, to do to be more effective in intervening in crisis situations so his leadership goes beyond the practical diplomatic uh, and managerial leadership to in fact also thought leadership and this comes across also in his um, memoir called interventions is the title of the book uh, a life in War and Peace in which even within that that, that, that his, his own reflections, you can see that he, he, he's a deep thinker on these issues that are, are the global challenges continue to affect us, um, and and I think that that is in fact his legacy mm-hmm. going forward. And 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 we will be engaging with some of the ideas he's he's brought onto the onto the public stage, global stage, uh, for decades to come.
0: Well, we're going to take one more break, and then when we come back, uh, as much as we are seeing his praises, uh, he were, he lived a life that wasn't. Without criticism, we know that a lot of people have criticized the fact that he was not able to reform the Security Council. Uh, so that was one issue that was interesting. And also there was some criticism that came while he was heading uh, the peacekeeping unit within the United Nations that said that he was very passive in the response uh, to the Rwandan uh, genocide, uh, that he could have made some decisions there or influence decisions in that regard. I'm not sure how true is that. And also, 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 we know that uh, there was a story that came out of his son being accused of being involved in the oil for food scandal uh, that some were saying that he should actually resign because of that. Uh, But we'll deal with some of those uh, critical uh, viewpoints that he had to experience uh, during his lifetime. And also when we come back, we'll look at uh, some of his achievements post uh, his uh, UN work.
1: Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa,
0: the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor.
3: Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here.
0: Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank
1: you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and and, do my part and do it really, really well. (laughs)
0: Was well, 27 minutes uh, before uh, midday, Central African time. you still with me, Benjamin Mushatama, right on African Dialogue. Today we're looking at the life of Kofi Annan. Some very interesting insights that we're getting uh, from our experts on the line. We've got Sebastian Breckwood, who worked alongside uh, Kofi Annan. He's the senior political officer at the Kofi Annan Foundation. And we've got Professor Tim Moriti, head of the Institute of Justice and Reconciliation, also joining us. Uh, for this very interesting conversation Sebastian let me come to you when it comes to some of the critical uh, points of uh, uh, Kofi Annan's especially when it came to uh, people actually pointing out some of the weaknesses within his Turner Uh, this issue of reforming the security council has been long going indeed and it's only now that we seemingly going some w- with it. But uh, was it fair uh, to criticize Kofi uh, Annan around the reformation of the Security Council?
2: Uh, I mean, Mr. Annan had a a proposal, actually, to try and reform the Security Council. But of course, the Secretary General does not decide on uh, reforming the Security Council. It's kind of the the uh, inbuilt system um, is that uh, you have the member states that control and call the shots. So the Secretary General can propose, but at the end of the day, it's the Security Council that decides. Um, so I think, I mean, he tried to advocate for certain changes, and he tried to. But at the end of the day, it was beyond his power. So I don't think it's mm-hmm. fair to accuse him of that. And the, <laughs> he did make a lot of reforms mm-hmm. in the UN system, which he could make, but not mm-hmm. that one. That was too—I uh, mean, that was beyond his power.
0: Power, sure. And also, uh, I also read that uh, Canadian General Romeo Dele, who was uh, force commander of the United Nations Assistance Mission for Rwanda, also claimed that Anand was uh, uh, passive in his response to the genocide in Rwanda. I'm also thinking that it's the same answer to this previous question that I asked you, that it can't be pinned on just one man.
2: So that's true. Um, I wasn't with him at the time, of course. I wasn't working for the United Nations. But as you can imagine, this is something which I think uh, weighed heavily on him for the rest of his life, uh, what happened in Rwanda. And um, he used to tell me that um, what happened is that he had uh, consulted all the member states, Security Council in particular, and there was no desire to act. And I think that was still... Um, you know, he wasn't um, SG yet, and he wasn't, um, I think, accustomed to playing mm. the role that he later played. Sure. He, he told me that had he known what, uh, then what he knew later, he would have used his um, bully pulpit. He would have used more communication to try and change things. But at the time, I think he was still very much the career civil serv- um, international civil servant. Mm. So if he saw there was no appetite for anything among member states, uh, he didn't know what more to do. Um, he used to tell me, you know, had he known then, he would have probably uh, gone to the media, made public statements, and kind of uh, tried to um, uh, force uh, action. But that wasn't, uh, you know, what he'd been taught as a U.S. Mm-hmm. civil servant for 40 years. Um, he only, And that's why, why I think communication and public advocacy became so important to him when he became an SG, because he realized that gave him an additional card to play when uh, the political process was stuck
0: Let me come to you, Prof. Moriti. What are your thoughts on uh, the reformation of the Security Council? Uh, Because, yes, Sebastian is correct. He did try to uh, actually reform uh, the the, the Security Council. I know that he had two reports on management reform, and it seemed like there were still some reservations on those countries that were uh, within the Security Council to take on some of these reforms.
1: Yeah. Look, I think Sebastian is right. You know, the the, the 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 role of reforming the United Nations is, is not that of the Secretary General. The member states ultimately uh, control that process, and the permanent five uh, within the Security Council, uh, the United States, UK, France, Russia, China, have a, a almost an asymmetrical ability because of the ability to veto any um, resolutions. To in fact control that process and determine it, so it, 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 it never really was in Kofi Annan's court to, to push uh, for uh, the specific reform of the Security Council. He did talk quite generally, even in his in his own memoir, he, he called um, for a much more radical reform uh, of the United Nations system beyond uh, you know it's beyond w- what it is at the moment, mm. and w- which is long overdue, really. Um, and so uh, that, that that issue perhaps is less controversial in terms of uh, his ability to effectuate change and rather we should assign and apportion most of the blame to the member states and in particular the permanent five members of the Security Council. But on the issue of um, of, of Rwanda, um, in fact, uh, he, he was an Under-Secretary General when the genocide um, uh, transpired, okay. the, the catastrophic genocide took place in sure. 1994, and, and his immediate boss, Boutros Ghali mm. of Egypt, in fact, would have had a much more uh, prominent role as the Secretary General. Um, so it, 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 one should be very careful of trying to uh, also apportion blame or assign a certain significant amount of the blame to, to, to Kofi Annan. And also it is clear that there, as Romeo Delaire has reported, he did send back cables to the united nations system but there are also a number of member states of the security council notably the united states of america and france who had prior information and intelligence that there was a there was, a, there was a, the genocide was being planned um and those who have access to united states uh uh documentation mm-hmm. government documentation through freedom of, of information uh, can in fact ascertain this um that this information was available to these powerful countries which could have intervened, uh, could have also have blown the whistle much earlier uh, rather than allowing the carnage to unfold. Mm. And, the United, and, and the organization of African unity, um, the, the, the African grouping of states that had the mandate to, in fact, address crisis on the continent was ill-prepared and ill-equipped to address the, the, the tragedy as it unfolded in Rwanda. Mm. And uh, the OEU itself has also acknowledged this in its own report. So there's a lot of blame to go around for the Rwanda tragedy, and we just have to be careful about trying to assign it to, uh, you know, uh, and, and place it entirely uh, on Kofi on Annan's mm-hmm. uh, shoulders. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Finally, but not least, uh, just as we wrap up the conversation, Sebastian, post his uh, um, UN uh, days, the foundation was established. Tell us a little bit about the work of the Kofi Annan Foundation, what it invested his time into and uh, how it actually dealt with some of the uh, diplomatic issues that Kofi Annan was still involved in.
2: Yeah, Mr. Jarrell wanted to continue his work after leaving, stepping um, down from the United Nations. So he pursued his main, same objectives of building a fairer, more peaceful world, and this time without the constraints of the uh, Security Council. So he worked a great deal in uh, conflict prevention and resolution, uh, promoting sustainable development and human rights and the rule of law. Um, the professor just mentioned earlier on uh, his work on Kenya, which um, he always said it was supposed to last five days and it ended up lasting five years because he launched what they call the Kenya National Dialogue and Reconciliation Process, which was mm. uh, really an overhaul of, the, of, of a lot of the political uh, institutions in Kenya to try and make uh, Kenya more peaceful in the long run. Um, in a similar area, he worked in Nigeria in 2015 to try and um, help the, the first peaceful transition from one elected uh, president to another, a change of parties, in 2015, which has been credited uh, for by a lot of Nigerians. He um, uh, set up the Africa um, gro- Green Revolution um, and tried to promote um, agriculture in Africa. He was appointed by the uh, Arab League and the uh, United Nations to be the negotiator in Syria, although that didn't work out. Um, Aung San Suu called on him to chair the Rakhine Commission to try and find a solution to the Rohingya crisis in Myanmar. So he was very active uh, really until uh, the last month of his, uh, of his uh, life. Um, he tried. I think he felt a responsibility. And when he left the UN, I think he took on a kind of iconic status, which he uh, realized had potential to try and um, shape outcomes. And he used that uh, credibility, used that iconic status to try and, and move things along in many areas. Um, and he relentlessly overworked himself. Um, to try and uh, and make the world a better place till the last until his last day,
0: Professor Moriti, In terms of uh, your views of uh, Kofi Annan's contribution to both diplomatic and humanitarian work, how would you sum it up?
1: Well, look, um, he was, as I said earlier on, a thought leader, and he, mm-hmm. in in contributing to major shifts, normative shifts within the United Nations system, he was also an institution builder. And then ultimately he was he was a peacemaker because, uh, as Sebastian has mentioned, uh, he intervened in the crisis in Kenya and over a period of 40 days working with uh, Benjamin Kappa of Tanzania and uh, Gracia Machel of Mozambique managed to get the Kenyan interlocutors to find a, a, com- a common ground mm-hmm. and sign this national agreement. So I think, um, you know, his, his influence uh, will be felt in the at the global stage for several decades to come and his name is now etched in the in the history books for posterity
0: Well, thank you, gents, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. That was the voice of Professor Tim Muriti, the head of the Institute of Justice and Reconciliation. Uh, Professor Tim, it's always great to have you on our show. Thank you for taking hold of our invitation. And thank you as well to Sebastian Brack, who is the senior political officer at the Kofi Annan Foundation. We never thought that the foundation would respond so quickly to our request of an interview with you, Sebastian. So we appreciate you joining us.
2: Thank you for reaching out, and also I wanted to stress the fact that the Foundation will continue Mr. Nan's work, Mm. uh, even though he's gone, even though he's left us, to maintain that ethos and that legacy in in the complicated world we're entering.
0: Well, thank you so much. Keep doing the great work, Sebastian, and thank you for your contribution.
2: Thank you. Goodbye, gentlemen.